Shalom, shalom, and welcome to another podcast and video of God's Little Hummingbird, the podcast where we are reading through the Bible from the beginning to the end using the original languages as a guide. I apologize that I have not been able to make as many this week. It's just been a crazy week. Harvest season is absolutely amazingly (laughs) crazy and busy. So we are on Exodus 33, so we are going to continue our study today. And I am starting to do some Zoom meetings because there's people spread throughout just all over the U.S. that we're meeting with. And so if you'd ever like to be a part of our Zoom Bible Sabbath fellowships, please also let me know. And you can just message me through God's Little Hummingbird. And we will make sure we get to I don't email me because I forget to check that email. Just message me on Facebook on God's Little Hummingbird. And so... Anyway, we use the original language as a guide to help us better understand when things are unclear and when things have a better meaning from in the original Hebrew or the Greek language. And um, it's really neat to also use the Greek Septuagint at times as well to really understand what the New Testament is saying once we get there. It's really awesome because you'll see some, you'll see a lot of things that were mis, misquoted and mistranslated, but they have this beautiful meaning when you actually see what they mean. So we are in Exodus chapter 33. And we are reading from the New King James Version Bible. If you don't own that Bible, you can find it online for free at Blue Letter Bible, Bible Hub, or any of those Bible software places. Okay. And Lord, please guide and lead us today and open our eyes and hearts to only hear your truth and your truth alone. Okay, let's begin. Then Yahweh said to Moshe, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yahov saying to your descendants, I will give it. Okay, so that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember, we've already talked about the meanings. If you haven't watched the podcast or listened to the podcast, I'm sorry, then go back and, and, and listen because you will you will get the definitions of those names and whatnot. But I want to point out this, depart and go up. What you're going to begin to see in Scripture and start realizing when Yahweh calls this group of people out, Avraham, yeah, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob becomes name is Israel, Israel. And they're given the promised land. They are promised the promised land, the modern day, you know, the nation of Israel. And you're going to see that they always say to go up, go up to it. So it's this elevated place, it's this higher place, not in a pagan type of worship place, but it's like you're ascending spiritually symbolically, right? You're you're going to the promised land. And when you overcome sin and when you overcome hard things in your life and God is the one leading you in the, that path, you are literally going to the promised land. You're you're accepting and receiving his promises of deliverance from sin and overcoming of sin and you're getting to the place of rest and 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 communion with him where he dwells when you overcome sin. So think about it, when you if you were an alcoholic, the alcoholism hindered your ability to hear from God and connect with God because that demon was was blocking your relationship with God. Um, if you're in your sexual morality, whatever it is, it's blocking you and God. But when you overcome it, you get to the promised land. And there's just this great, it's a land flowing with, quote, milk and honey. It's a beautiful land of abundance and and grace and sufficiency. And so notice from now on, just pay attention that they go up when they're going to Israel, Israel and they go down to Egypt down. Remember, Egypt is the 
word in the one of the two words in the Hebrew language that is always dual purpose. It's never singular and it's never completely plural. It's dual purpose. It's mitzrayim. The other word is mayim, water, and so it never just means the the nation Egypt mitzrayim. It's always symbolic of sin, also in other things. So interesting. Okay, verse two, and I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. So Yahweh's going to send his angel before them as they go into the land, this promised land, and his angel, which we know is Yeshua, because it's the messenger, angel, which means messenger. And this is the one whom we could worship, we could bow to. Yahweh's name was in him, and we're supposed to listen to him. So it's pretty awesome. Verse 3, go up to a land flowing, again, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Okay, so, you know, lest he destroy them on the way. So if you ever have a sore neck, I want to point out, really be looking at these pictures in Scripture when God, Yahweh, speaks to us. Stiff-necked means they're rebellious. And often people just run to the doctor or take medicine or whatever, do all these sinful things because they don't even let God speak to them. And I just want to point out, here is a picture of a stiff neck and it's being rebellious to God. And often, if I ever have a stiff neck, which honestly, thank God, isn't a lot, but if I ever have had one, I stop and I pray and say, where where am I disobeying you, God? Where am I being stiff necked to you? Because there's always a root cause and that's what people don't understand. There's a verse in the Bible that says, I... give life and uh, God speaking, not me. (laughs) I heal and I wound. I heal and I destroy is another way that that's written. I give life. So if, if, if it comes from his hand, who are we to push him away and not learn our lesson? So this verse right here is a good one for people to look at if you're being stiff necked against God and what he's trying to lead you into his promised land, right? So if you rebel, you will often have a stiff neck. No, I'm not saying it wasn't a physical act, but God uses the physical act. Maybe we lifted something new heavy that day. And he uses it to speak to us spiritually because think about this. Even if you did lift something too heavy, maybe that's a burden you weren't supposed to be lifting. So you're rebelling against God in that capacity. Okay, just something to remember. And the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, you don't actually enter the land of Israel and see rivers flowing with milk and honey. But milk in the Bible is often symbolic of the first word of God, like that pureness, the think about a babe nursing at its, with its mother. It, milk is that first taste of life. It's newness. And honey is also, the root word of honey also um, links very strongly to the word, the word of God. So, and we'll get to that, devar, devar, um, devash, devar. There's, it's so linked that honey is often symbolic of the word of God. And and we'll get more to that as we get there. But as we go through scripture, I should be saying, but I really want you to think about this land. Why is it flowing with milk and honey? Okay. And the vash is the word there for honey. But why, 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 what does that mean? Think about it. Honey is sweet. And what produces honey? Honey bees. And and I like, and I always know it is symbolic of the word of God. So think about it this way. A honeybee can bring life because it's one of our biggest pollinators. So it pollinates and creates, and from that pollen creates honey, sweetness, right? So if you obey God's word, and if you are not bugging this little honeybee, it doesn't sting you, right? It doesn't sting. 
it brings life to you because the honey is sustenance. It's it's substantial. It's beautifully delicious and rich in color and is honestly just really, really a really neat picture of God's truth and word. It doesn't sting us. That honeybee doesn't sting us if we're just there, resting, obedient, not messing around. But the minute you start messing with a honeybee and they feel threatened, of course it will come and sting you. And so in this honeybee, it can produce life or death. And a lot of people are allergic to honeybees. And so it's a really good way to picture God's word, I believe, because his word is the sweetness of that honey. If the honeybee, I'm sorry, if we take the honeybee and we are in communion with basically, you know, we get along with the honeybee and we aren't bugging this word of God over here, we're obeying it and we're being friends with it, we get to eat of its life. And so that's what I think of when I think of a land flowing with milk and honey. It's sustenance to us. It's that beautiful first taste of life. And milk is, I mean, physically, it's high in protein. It, it's just, um, you think about it, you make curds from it. You can make so much cheese from it. You can make, it's just so versatile. So that's what I think it means. It's like when you go to the quote promised land spiritually and or physically, you are able to, to be nourished by God, the milk, like as a babe, a trusting babe, in the honey, that sustenance that brings that sweetness to your life. And his word is sweetness to our life, but it's death to those who disobey it. So then the bee will sting them. I hope that made sense. Okay. But here, did you hear the good, the bad news? Also, he said, I'm not going to go with you because you're so stiff-necked. I'm going to destroy you. I like, I, I'm going to lose my patience with you and you're just going to die. I'm just going to have to kill you. <laughs> so verse four, and when the people heard this bad news, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments for Yahweh had said to Moshe, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come up with, I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you or destroy you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments, that's your jewelry, that I may know what to do with you. So he's stripping them and making them bare and humbling them. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. Because remember, they had just made the golden calf and worshipped the golden calf. Like, it seems so obvious to us not to do this stuff, guys, but there's going to be a lot of things in our lives that we don't even realize what we're doing. And so I hope that the Holy Spirit, as we go through this, is ministering to all of our hearts and really showing us those dark crevices that we don't recognize as this golden calf, but that actually are similar to this golden calf. So they're humbled, they're stripped, they're not decorated, they are mourning and basically begging God to go with them. Verse 7, so Moshe took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. So the Shekhan of meeting, right? They were going to meet there. And it came to pass that everyone who sought Yahweh went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. Because at this point, which, and I don't know if this is symbolic or not, but what I see is, remember Yahweh's like, I'm not going to go with you. I'm mad at you. So it is outside of the camp. And we know that Yeshua was killed outside of the town of Jerusalem. He was killed outside of the camp, so to speak. And we just read about the sacrifices, the burnt offering, and the offal, the, the, the part of it that was remaining had to be taken outside of the camp. And so Moses goes outside of the camp to meet. And the people who sought Yahweh went there too. 
Verse 8, so it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moshe until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moshe entered the tabernacle. Now remember, this isn't the actual tabernacle. They haven't built the tabernacle. This is the tent that he pitched there and called the tabernacle, which is the Mishkan, the meeting place, okay? That the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and Yahweh talked with Moshe. That's pretty amazing, right? So there's a pillar of cloud <laughs> and it literally comes down and is at the front of that, the, the tent, and out of that cloud, Moshe speaks with Yahweh, or Yahweh speaks out of the cloud to Moshe, I should say. The cloud was there as a covering to protect him. Amazing, huh? All the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So Yahweh spoke to Moshe face to face. Panim al panim. Face to face. Um, it's a beautiful picture. We don't like speak like this in English, and so people are like, we do talk about face-to-face -face meetings being in person, but I think this is a little different. Um, I think it's like, because nobody gets to see the face of Yahweh and live, so we know this is Yeshua. But it's amazing how we, they, I guess, how do you, in, in America, how would you liken this? It would be more like an intimate connection where you're so close, because see, the rest of the people are seeing the cloud. They're seeing the, the glory of Yahweh in that respect, but they don't get to see his face. And not, Moses didn't get to see the face of the Father, and we're going to prove that here in a minute. He could only see the face of the Son, but he heard God's voice. He got to hear it, and he was right there close, but there was a cloud between them. And I would pray, all of us would press in and beg for that, that we could speak face-to-face -face with Yahweh and just hear him like men hear their neighbor speaking with them. So I don't know. It's really beautiful. Verse 11 again. So Yahweh spoke, spoke to Moshe face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man did not depart from the tabernacle. Then Moses said to Yahweh, see, you have, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name. And you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. So what did Moses pray? And this should be all of our prayers. Show me your way. 99% of believers who claim to be believers they might say those words, but they don't follow his way. Because he came to the mount, he came and met with Moshe and showed us his way. He said, these are my rules. These are my Sabbaths. This is my covenant. So if we really want to know God's way, we better listen to what he's showing and telling Moses. And we can't say it went away because God specifically says he never changes. He is not a man that he should change, as the prophet says. And so I beg, I begged him before I understood Torah, before I understood. I mean, even though my family was blood Jewish, we had no idea. We were raised evangelical Christian. Um, they had become Mennonites at one point, I guess. But my point is, I remember just knowing God was telling me I was following man. He kept telling me, you're following man, not me. 
and I would sit at the stairs, kneel at the stairs, and I'd say, Father God, just show me your way. Show me your way. Not my way. I don't want to be right. (laughs) I don't want to be right. I'll give up anything and I will be wrong so you can be right. Please show me your way. And he answered that prayer. But I had to pray it in truth. And I had to be able to swallow hard that lump (laughs) and do what he said, even when it wasn't going to be what my way was. It's easy to say, show me your way and I'll follow. It's much harder to do it. You have to die to your flesh. But the the blessings are manifold and, and just not even comparable to anything else. So you definitely need to, we all need to be there, okay? And that we find grace in his sight. And I pray that for all of us right now, listening to here. Verse 14, and he said, my presence will go up with you and I will give you rest. Isn't that amazing? He's so forgiving. Then he said to him, this is Moshe saying to Yahweh, if your presence does not go up with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. And that word separate there should be kadosh. Let me just double check. <laughs> I'm reading in the English. Now look at the Hebrew Bible's over here. Then I have the interlinear over here. So sometimes, um, oh, that actually is the word pala. So that just means to be distinguished or not the word holy set apart in that way. So it is to make a difference though. But that's what Moses is saying. It's like, that's how they're going to know we're different because you're with us, Yahweh. We don't want to just blend in with the world. We don't want to be like everybody else. So I thought it was interesting. As soon as Yahweh starts to concede and give this mercy, Moses is like, jumps all over it. Yeah, because you have to go with us. Because if you don't go with us, we're never going to, we're never, nobody's going to know that we're different, that we're your people. So he like continues to agree with what Yahweh's saying and then like reinforce as though Yahweh didn't know <laughs> the point. Like, we need you. We need you, Yahweh. See, this is how you're going to get your glory in the earth. So I love that. Verse 17. So Yahweh said to Moshe, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And I want to stop here. I'm so sorry, but let's, in our minds, and if you need your Bible, go ahead and go there. But Matthew chapter 7, and I don't have the exact verse on me right now, but in Matthew 7, and I believe it's close to 21, but I don't remember. He says, Jesus, Yeshua says, many will come to me that day say and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? cast out demons in your name and do many wonders in your name? And he says, I will look at them and tell them, get away from me, you who don't obey the law, for I never knew you. So how are you known by God? It's when you obey him. And that's what John says. The book of John says, First John, Second John, Third John, all those Johns. Um, when John's writing, he talks over and over about, if you love God, you're going to keep his commandments. And Therefore, keep the Messiah's commandments because they're the same. They're the one. They're echad. And so if you want to be known by God, you need to obey him. Otherwise, he just doesn't know you. And that was that's, those are scary words from Jesus. And it literally says the antinomos there in the Greek. Um, get away from you who are antinomos, those who are against the law. <laughs> and I see lots of churches teach against the law and say we no longer have to obey it. But here's the fact. Nobody ever had to obey it. If you just want to start, serve Yahweh, you choose to obey it. Because you love him. Those who love him will keep his commands. Okay, verse 18. And he said, please show me your glory. And that's the word chavod. Then he said, Yahweh said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. (laughs) He's Yahweh. Remember his name is Eyeh not I am who I am. 
but I will be who I will be. It's translated like that every other place except for right there, those set of words. I will be who I will be. And right here he's basically saying that same thing. I'm going to be compassionate on whom I choose to be compassionate. If I see the heart's right, I'm going to be compassionate on the person. His choice. He's Yahweh, right? We don't get it. We don't. He's not just confined to, okay, like, think about it this way. Jesus says live by the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law, right? So that's what he's saying. It's like, yes, the law exists. But you have to understand, like, when the disciples were hungry that day, even though it says not to harvest that day, they were only eating the grain heads that were sufficient for that day. They weren't harvesting for weeks ahead. And God didn't say you had to be hungry today. And God doesn't say, like, if somebody's out starving in the wilderness, I mean, start, not starving, um, if they're dying in the wilderness and they don't have a coat, and, you know, they're a woman and they only have a man's coat there, but they don't have their own coat, it's, it's okay. He's not, they're not going to be cross-dressing. They're not trying to do that kind of sinfulness. They're simply keeping warm. And so that's what God is saying basically here. It's like, I understand like some people deserve to die, but I understand their hearts and they're going to overcome and I'm going to give that person grace or mercy or whatever. And I can, he speaking, can have compassion who he's going to have compassion on because he just knows the hearts and he'll get them there. Now they're still judged by their actions, but he knows whose heart will turn to him. Because believe me, I deserved <laughs> death many times. But his grace has been beautiful to me. Verse 20. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And remember, Jesus says no one has seen the face of God and lived. So we still know Moses didn't actually see God the Father. And Yahweh said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So even though they spoke face to face, and this is where I want to point out, who was actually speaking with Moses? Yeshua. Because we can see the son. He is the manifestation of God, the one whom Yahweh the Father made that we can actually see. He was sent to earth. His spirit and flesh have been here. He still resides with us. The angel that they saw was him, the person that would meet with him and eat with them and who they would worship. Because you'll see some angels, some messengers are, are not. They're like Michael and stuff like that. And we can't worship them, but we could worship the Messiah. We could always worship Yeshua, the son. And so I think it's interesting. He places him on a rock and the rock in Deuteronomy, we're told, is symbolic of Yahweh. Yahweh says, I am your rock. And so it's our steadfast, strong place. He puts him on like Messiah, on Yeshua, on God, and then he passes by. And he proclaims his name. And I just think that's beautiful. And so I pray that we could have such a relationship with God that we would rise up and give our life to him in such a way that he can bless us and he can show us his glory. And I can't wait. I mean, okay, it's horrible, this end time, hard thing coming. But he says he's going to do the same types of signs and wonders as he did when he brought us out of Egypt the first time. And I can't wait to see his might in his hand and just give him all glory. Okay, everyone, have a super blessed Sabbath.